Good morning. Thank you for uh, joining us here again. I, I love that uh, you guys made the choice to get yourself somewhere where people are worshiping God, meeting around his table, giving and investing in his kingdom, thanking him, and looking into his word as a way to actually see our lives transformed and become more like him. That's what's happening. We don't believe we're the only people that are doing that this morning, but we're definitely all about that here. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you for listening to this too. I hope it changes your life as well. Um, seriously, though, um, I want to say thank you, especially to everyone who blessed us last week. That was amazing. On behalf of the entire ministerial staff and myself, it was super encouraging. Uh, we appreciated all the gifts and kind words, and it was just amazing. Um, but the thing that meant the most, I know for me and I think for all of them, was several of you were very specific in that you said, here are some ways that our lives are being affected by what you're doing. And that's really what this is all about for us. That's the thing that motivates us more than anything is that we're actually changing each other. There's transformation going on. And I want you to know that you changed us. You, you blessed us. You do that all the time. But that was the thing that really motivated us and put some more fire under our tails. And we appreciate that. And that's what this whole iron sharpens iron kind of relationships that we've been talking about is about. So one more time, today is the last day of the four-week four series called Iron Sharpens Iron. Let's read this theme verse one more time together out loud, and we're going to jump on through this. Here we go. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Uh, many of you have been here all four weeks. Some, uh, just a couple. I want to make sure you, you understand this. This, this is such a a ripe image. It's so full of stuff, and it's, it's got the idea that there's friction. If, if there's friction in some of your healthy relationships right now, I want you to know you did not choose the wrong person. You did not choose the wrong friend, the wrong church. That's just part of it. But if we handle things God's way, if we keep putting others and the kingdom first, what's going to happen is that we're all going to get better. We're all going to get sharper. We're all going to actually become more effective and more useful to God as time goes by. And that is his dream. In fact, let's say this together. Here's the first of four big things you'll find on this outline, which is also a take-home Bible study. Uh, but let's say this one together out loud. God designs relationships that transform us. Every single one, every single relationship that you see God create, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether him and the church, him and you as an individual, uh, you and another person, a teacher, a student, whatever it is, if God is the one who had a hand and created that relationship, transformation is absolutely part of it. It was part of his original design. It was even before the fall. When he created us male and female and set us over the earth, he said to multiply, create even more people and more relationships, and to cultivate the earth. He wanted us to cultivate the earth. In other words, even though it was already perfect, he wanted to see what else that we would do with it. He wanted us to transform this wonderful world that he'd created and transform each other through these relationships that he had given us. Heraclitus, I think, I'm not sure how to say this. I, I, I tend to read a lot more than I listen, and so I'm not always sure I'm pronouncing people's names right. But I love what he said. He's an old philosopher. He said, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. And that's true. We change whether we like it or not. We get older, we, our, our bodies grow and then start 
fading away. It's, it's just part of it. We learn things. We make choices. Other people make choices around us. The world changes around us. So many things happen. Everything changes as life goes by, whether we like it or not. The only choice that we have is God gives us some choices to make about the kind of relationship we form, how we handle those relationships, and we get a voice in some of the changes that are going to happen. Are we doing everything that we can to be transformed in his direction, or are we doing it on our own? We're going to change either way, but we get a little bit of say in that, and he gives us some direction. Mother Teresa said this, um, if you want to know how to promote world peace, go home and love your family. We spent a whole week on that, that that is the primary place where God wants us to learn how to treat others well, to forgive, to offer grace, but also hold each other accountable. Zig Ziglar said, if you go out looking for a friend, you're going to find that they're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. We spent two weeks on the kind of friendships that God offers us. They're always going to be transformational. They're always going to be the kind where you're asking what is best for the kingdom and putting the other person's first. But when that happens, we see real transformation. But ultimately, all of this depends on this, this central relationship that God created for every single one of us, and that's where we are today. Your relationship with God. When we approach any other person, it's, it's, it's got to be with humility. It's got to, we've got to always remember that no matter how gifted or, or how, what kind of opportunities we've had or what kind of personalities we have, whatever it is that we may be better at something than someone else at any given time and then be better than us at any given time, we're all equal in the sight of God. That is a fundamental truth. We've got to approach each other humbly. That's so huge. And yet, it's even more true when we approach God. Because none of us, none of us even comes close to being equal with God. It, it's such an amazing, it should be astonishing, it should be scary to even consider the concept that we could be friends with God. And yet, this is exactly what he offers us. Even in the Old Testament, even under the law, even before Jesus' sacrifice and when everything was just straight up law there wasn't all the grace that we live in right now there was it was all different even then he offered it psalm 25 14 the lord is a friend to those who fear him he teaches them his covenant a covenant is a committed relationship in which both people have a responsibility and if you're in a covenant with god a friendship with god he makes a commitment to you and he expects you to commit to him he tells you, he teaches you every single day more and more about his love and his mercy, about his um, creativity, his power, his wisdom, his faithfulness. But he also teaches you more and more about what he expects from you. This has also been consistent throughout time. In the New Testament, Jesus himself said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Proverbs, back in the Old Testament again, says, Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. Again, that's the Old Testament where God just no hold barred. Here's how I feel about sin. Here's how, here's how it makes me sick. Here's what I like. Do that instead of that. It's just no holds barred. Obviously, he still loves those people. He would forgive them. He would offer them friendship if they would turn around. But he's saying, look, you're my friends if you do what I command. 
Another really powerful symbol, and again, all of these things, all of these relationships tie together. They all represent God, his own nature, and the kind of relationship he wants us to have with him and with each other. We don't have a lot of time to talk about marriage, but it's one of the central things that we focus on as a church even because it's such an important thing. But the way God treats us, the image of not just a friend, but also as he is the bridegroom and we are the bride, this is a very important thing to keep in mind. See, God, one of the things that he talks about is that he is, one of the names he calls himself is Elkanah, the jealous Lord. And when we think about jealousy, we think more about, by the way, anybody was at Truth Project a while back, we talked about this same thing. He calls himself the jealous Lord. When we think about jealousy, we tend to think about the sinful kind. It's also called envy. Kind of like, you remember that old rock song, I wish I had Jesse's girl. Remember that? Okay. That's the kind of jealousy we think of. But think about that same song. In that, in that equation, we're the girl and God is Jesse. And God is saying, hey, you know what? I don't care what you wish, dude. That's my girl. Do you understand? And he gets mad if we are interested in somebody else besides him because we belong to him. That's what he's talking about in James 4 here. It says, you have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses you to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us? But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. So then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. Move your heart closer and closer to God and he will come even closer to you. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to be made low before the Lord and he will exalt you. I read, this, that, I read that this morning from the Passion Translation. I just really love the fresh and very accurate to the Greek take that it has on that. But you probably recognize that passage, especially that last part. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But this is a fundamental idea that God gives us. We humble ourselves before him and he will lift us up. And I know that there are people in this room that have known God long before I was even born. There are people in this room that know more about God and his stuff than I'll ever know. But let me tell you something that's a truth that we've all got to remember. And you see it hidden in this. It's not even hidden really well. It's just right there. But this is an ongoing process. We move closer and closer to God as time goes by. This is not something that you just do. It's not a one-time decision that you just make and then suddenly that's everything you need to do. God designed all relationships to transform us over time and that's including the one, maybe especially the one that's a relationship between him and us. There are three things. No matter where you are with God, there are three things that will help you get closer to him and continue to get closer to him. And those are the three things we're going to focus on now. Here's the first one. 
None of this is rocket science. You've heard this before. The problem is sometimes we know stuff. Sometimes we think stuff. We believe stuff. We accept stuff. But we don't do that stuff. And unless you do it, you're wasting your time. Here's the first one. Let's say it out loud together. Commit to daily time with God. Commit to daily time with God. And again, this is not a religious thing. In this new covenant that we live in, the grace and the love of God, it's not like he's getting ready to slap us. You missed Tuesday. What is wrong with you? It's not like that. But what it is is every relationship that he creates requires time. Everybody knows this. If you want to get closer to your family, if you want to get closer to a friend, closer to someone you're dating, someone to someone you're married to, closer to someone in your church, you've got to spend time with him. You've got to invest in that relationship. If you don't, you're going to drift apart. And if you do, you will, you will build that relationship deeper. It's the same way with our relationship with God. If you're not studying his word, if you're not praying, if you're not listening to him and giving him a chance to speak to you through his word, through talking back to you in one way or another through prayer, if you're not giving him a chance to speak to you through community, through his people, you can't expect that relationship to get deeper. It's not just an understanding. It's not a deal you make with him. This relationship, when you say you have a personal relationship with God, it's not an agreement. It's an iron sharpens iron friendship. It's something that's supposed to develop and deepen and change and evolve and get stronger over time. Romans 12, Paul writes, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In chapter 5, he writes, Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's powerful. That's huge. Hebrews says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Once again, in the midst of all this, you see another big thing that we've got to, to understand anything in the Bible. You've got to understand this idea. When God uses the word faith, when any of the writers in the Bible use the word faith, they're not talking about a feeling. They're not talking about a sense of confidence that's inside your heart or your head somehow. They're talking about the kind of belief that makes you do something. If you have faith in something, you act on it. If you believe something, there is an action involved. That's the kind of faith that he's talking about. And when, even, even, in the, even in the most two most famous verses of the entire Bible, John 3, 16 and 17, listen for all these truths in that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That means to write them off. There's no more hope for them. But to save the world through him. That eternal life. 
Jesus himself defined that in John 17, part of a prayer that he was praying. He said this, and this is eternal life. Listen, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know God? Do you just kind of have an un understanding with him? Do you just kind of believe he's there? Do you just kind of accept it somehow? Do you, do you just kind of choose to keep saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep saying that I believe? Or do you actually know him? If you want to know him, that's his dream for you. That's what he wants. But you've got to act on your faith. You've got to pursue him. Yet he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what faith means. One of my heroes, biggest heroes in history, at least, is Martin Luther King Jr. One of my favorite quotes from him is this. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. When he wrote that, it was part of a letter that he wrote from Birmingham prison. It was in the middle, one of the darkest moments of the civil rights movement. And he wrote these because he, he was very aware that this thing he was trying to do, this thing that was so close to the heart of God and that needed to happen in our nation, it, it could go either way. It might succeed or it might fail. And he wanted people to know that he understood that outside of the church and tragically inside of the church, at that moment, there were, so, there were just angry and even violently racist and prejudiced people that were opposing, act, actively opposing what he was trying to do. But he also knew that inside the church and even outside the church, there were people who were, understood that we all are equal before God, that we are all made in the image of God, that how dark our skin is and how curly our hair is does not affect our value as human beings. They, they, they understood that Dr. King's dream that one day people would not be evaluated by the color of their skin, but by their character. In this country that was what that was the dream that a lot of people shared but here's what he also knew most of those people were not doing anything about it the people who were doing something were the angry people the people that were doing something were the people that were full of hatred and prejudice and the people that weren't so he sent this letter out and he, he said I want you to know if this thing succeeds or fails it's going to be based on if God's people actually stand up for this if we lose, it's not because evil is suddenly stronger than good, that the devil suddenly got stronger than Jesus, that prejudice and hate got stronger than love. It's just that the loving people, God's people, didn't do anything. This is true in all of our relationships, and it's also true in our relationship with God. If you want to get closer to God, you've got to do something. You gotta ask him what he wants you to do. There's two big questions we all need to ask him. And again, I know that some of you are so close to God and this is already part of your daily routine, but you need to keep doing that, press harder. Some of you maybe have never heard this. Most of us are somewhere in between, but there are two questions we need to keep asking God. Here's the first one. Ask God what he wants you to give up next. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all discipleship program. There's no one Bible study, one small group, one anything that's going to work for every single Christian. But there are some commonalities. There are some things that do work for everybody. There are some, some general expectations that God has for all of us. One of those is you're going to lose something. 
It's back to that iron sharpens iron thing. It's, it, the part, part of sharpening is little parts get knocked off and the sparks fly and you've lost something. But overall, you're gaining something way, way better. There's absolutely no doubt that no matter how close you are to God right now, how much you are pursuing Him, how much you are earnestly seeking Him, there's, there's stuff He still wants to go. And He's got grace, He's got patience, but He expects you to ask Him this, what do you want me to give up next? What's the thing that you need me to work on right now? What's the thing that you know in your wisdom needs to happen right now? This might be something that you've heard a lot. It might be something that you've never thought of before. It might be something that is very general. It applies to all Christians. It might be something very specific to you. It might be something that is something that's going to affect the rest of your life, or it might be just for a season tomorrow or next week or next month. It, uh, only God knows that. Here's the point. You need to ask God himself, and when you get an answer, you need to give that thing up. You act on it, and that will start to change you in ways you can't even imagine. 1 John 3, 9 says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Back to Old Testament again, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. I believe this does apply the way we normally apply it, which is the general direction of your life, the biggest decisions. But it also applies to the very specific ones, including, God, what do you want me to give up next? What do you want me to work on right now? What is holding me back? James 1, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. At the bottom of this study guide, there is so many scriptures that we're not even putting on the screen this morning. There are whole chapters. One of them is Galatians 5. My prayer is that you go back and, and look at all of those and, and read those in whatever version really speaks to your heart. If your heart language is Spanish or Chinese or something, read it in that. Don't read it in English. Go and really make sure this connects you with God in your heart. But there's a couple more things we can walk together through as we start to wrap up this morning. Thomas Merton said this, Ask me not where I live and what I like to eat. Ask me what I am living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. Let me read that one more time. Ask me not where I live and what I like to eat. Ask me what I am living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. It's a powerful question. We need to ask ourselves that. We need to get the people who hold us accountable, our friends and our iron sharpens iron families. We need to make people ask us those questions. And also we should ask that of God. God, what is holding me back? What is keeping me from living fully? What is keeping, what is, what is keeping me from knowing you? What is keeping me from experiencing your presence and the freedom and the victory and the other things that you offer us? Second, really big question that you have to ask God every time is, what does he want to do through you? Ask God what he wants to do through you. And again, this one might be something that you've heard a thousand times, you just haven't done it. It might be something that applies to all Christians, or maybe it's something very specific that God just wants to 
to happen to you. Maybe it's something that is going to be for the rest of your life, or maybe it's just for a season. Once again, the key ideas here is ask God about it, and if you get an answer, do that thing. It might be very, very specific or general, whatever it is. Just the idea is ask Him. Give Him a voice and time to listen to that voice and then act on it. In James chapter 2, it's a very famous and crucial passage in the Scripture that outlines this idea that faith, excuse me, faith without works is dead. That there is no, that faith is, the biblical idea of faith is tied to, it's that you can't separate it from action. If you really believe, you actually act on it. And in the middle of that, it's, it's talking about Abraham and how his faith in God, he even willing to sacrifice his son because he thought God's either going to stop me or he's going to resurrect him or something. God is good. I'm going to trust him in this. He's telling that story. He says, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And he was even called the friend of God. Here's the thing, the greatest hope that we have, this side of heaven, is for God to work through us. For God to bless the world through us like he did through Abraham. Whenever God blesses us, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. When God gives us a gift, it's so that we can pass that gift on to others. When he gives us an opportunity... It's so that we can use that opportunity to build his kingdom and to bless the lives of those around us. He expects all of us to do the core things, the general things that apply to all Christians. And he expects each of us to do the things that he says to do that maybe it only applies to you. Maybe it doesn't, everybody else doesn't have to stop doing that. Everybody else doesn't have to start doing that. Everybody else doesn't have to talk to that person today, but you do. When you give God a chance to work through you, that's going to transform you in so many ways. And here's the amazing, just mind-blowing thing, too. It also affects him. This iron sharpens iron idea, you can't make God better. You can't get, make God more capable of being effective. But you know what he's done? Have you seen this pattern throughout all this? He is constantly, consistently partnered with us. He's constantly teamed up with human beings. And so even though he has limitless power, he has limited himself to whatever he's going to do through us. So when we're willing to actually act on this, we actually have a chance to affect God. We make God more effective, not more capable of being effective, not more capable of being good, but his will actually gets done because his will was that his will is done through us. So not only are we transformed, but we are blessing God just by allowing him to work through us. We are changed. Our families are changed. Our friendships are changed. The way we do and understand friendships are changed. Our churches are changed. And the world is changed around us. When the man walks back to the river, the man and the river have changed in good ways because we did it God's way. John and Stacey Eldridge... Um, have count, helped countless men and women go deeper with God over the years. Um, they've done that separately, him helping men, her helping women. They've worked together to help people heal broken marriages, deepen relationships with God as a couple. So many wonderful things. In, their, in John's book, Journey of Desire, though, they tell a story about early in their marriage when they got really close to divorce. 
They came to a moment where they were actually talking about it pretty calmly, like, well, I wonder how, how would we work that out and making some arrangements. And then it hit them. This is against everything that we believe. This is against everything we feel like God is trying to do through us. And so they had this moment. They, they just took off of both of their jobs and they just went away. They had this, this getaway that was just, the whole point was just we've got to reconnect with each other and we've got to reconnect with God. That week together is what transformed them. It, it, and it wasn't because it was just such a great week. It was because in that week they chose together, we're going to make this work no matter what. And they started some new habits that they did every day for the rest of their life. They, they made a decision in one day that was going to create an iron sharpens iron relationship that lasted and deepened the rest of their lives. And that is why the enemy was so opposed to it. It's quite a story in there, all the stuff that kept, tried to keep them from going on this retreat. But also it's why God was so behind it and how God's been able to use them so powerfully ever since. Because they very intentionally did what they needed to do in the moment to start up something that was going to be a daily progressive thing the rest of their lives. And that's what God needs us to do this morning. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Here's my prayer for all of us today. My prayer is that God will use all of these ideas and just your own personal time with God just the choices you're making uh, at home, the choices you're making in your friendships, the choices you're making here to transform every single one of us. My prayer is that you will choose more than ever before to make time with God one of your highest priorities. Not in a legalistic way, not in a scared way, not in a, oh my goodness, somebody's going to ask me about this, I guess I better get it over with kind of way. But you're actually pursuing God. You're earnestly seeking Him. And as you do that, you keep asking Him, God, what is it that you want me to give up next? What is it that you want me to do? What do you want to do through me? This morning, I don't know if any of you have a, a decision that needs to be made that is so big or so whatever it is, whatever the criteria would be, that it needs to be public. But if you've got one like that, even if you just want prayer, we invite you to come forward and to pray afterwards. If you want prayer, there will be somebody back in that corner that will pray with you. And just go back there. That Someone who loves you and loves God and knows how to pray will pray with you. If that's all you need, that's awesome. But if there's something you need to make public, please do that. But for every single one of you, this is my prayer for you. As we sing this song, let's actually spend time with God. And in your heart, would you ask him, what do you want me to give up? What do you want me to do next? And if he's telling you to do that, would you do it? Would you act on it? Let's stand and sing.